This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Delighted that you tuned in today. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything that's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. As always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. Tonight I'm going to be teaching, finishing actually, the book of Joel. Minor prophet that Maybe the oldest, the least the second oldest of all of the prophets, looking way down in the future. It's really a fascinating uh, prophecy. So we're going to be finishing that tonight. Uh, and then next Wednesday, I'm going to be starting in the book of Ezra. So uh, on on our Old Testament Wednesday night. So that's what's happening here tonight, tomorrow. Paula, of course, will be live in the studio with me on the date day edition of the program. So we are... Uh, Excited about that as well. Okay, let's get to questions. And while we await your phone calls, see what the Lord is going to do. This is an anonymous question from our mobile app. And the listener says, Within the Trinity, what exactly is the Holy Spirit and what is its role? Anonymous, a couple things. Um, The Holy Spirit is not a what uh, and it's not an it. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three persons that make up one God. They're not a third God, a third God, a third God. They're all fully God. They share the same attributes, the same characteristics, and they all have the same mission. They just exercise that mission a little bit differently. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, as he was trying to prepare them to for his departure, he said, uh, I'm going. It's good for you that I go away. Now, I don't think they believe that for a moment, Anonymous, but, but uh, he said, it's good for you that I go away because if I go, I will send another, and this is the literal Greek, I'll send another me to you. Now, it won't be physically. They were with Jesus physically for three and a half years, but what he's saying, I'll send another 
me. He will be in you. And then he identified him as the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. Ephesians chapter 1, guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes in, we are sealed, marked by God, and we belong to God. That's what happens on salvation when someone is born again. So the Holy Spirit uh, is in us, but it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit and Jesus are the same person. They're not. They're distinctly different, but because they're God, Jesus said the Father and I are one. But they were different persons, but they were one in essence, one in character, and one in mission. So the Holy Spirit um, is in us. It's Christ in us. He's the one that leads us into truth. He's the one that convicts us of sin and of righteousness and judgment and then points to Jesus Christ and Anonymous. That is his role. So don't refer to him as an it or a what, but refer to him as a person. Uh, one of the ways, now I've been saved for a long time now, 32 years. But when I got saved, I was really wrestling with these kind of questions. And um, I began starting every day with good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And I've been doing that pretty much for the 32 years I've been saved. And and the reason I do it, Anonymous, is because I want to to, to remember that all three persons of the Godhead had a, a significant role in my salvation. And they all play a, a, a role in my daily sanctification. And uh, I just want to be aware of their presence and their role in my life. So one other comment regarding his role. Uh, his role, Jesus said, when he comes, he will testify about me. So everything that the Holy Spirit does, he will never draw attention to himself. Uh, he will never point to anything else. The Holy Spirit's job is to point to Jesus. That's his testimony. And that's the person of the Holy Spirit that will be with us until we are with Jesus Christ. So I hope that answers your question. Um, don't struggle with it. Just accept that the Bible says the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, one God in three persons. Now, I always add this, Anonymous, because people, um, you know, well, it sounds like you're, 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 you're proclaiming three gods. We're not. They'll say, but one plus one plus one is three. And I always say this, one times one times one is one. And that's what the Godhead really is. One God manifest in three persons. The Father sent the Son to reveal the character, the nature, the holiness of the Father. Jesus, when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would reveal the person and the character of Jesus Christ. Good question. Thank you very, very much for that. Here is a question. This one is from Julian from our email inbox. Uh, pastor Ron, I was watching a football movie the other day. They did the Lord's Prayer. A pastor I heard online said that the Lord's Prayer is only for Christians, and athletes should not be saying that if they're not saved. 
What are your thoughts? How come people don't pray the Lord's Prayer in a group setting? Um, Julian, a couple of things. Let me give you the nature and the character of the of, of what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer, or we could call it the Lord's model for prayer. But what Jesus gave is sort of an outline. I like to think of it, you know, there's there's an outline, and, and then as we pray, the Holy Spirit will then fill in the holes in that outline. Our Father, who art in heaven. Just one example, and I could go through the whole thing. In fact, I've done this in Bible studies. Uh, our Father, uh, the Holy Spirit will say, is he really your Father? Are you born again? Are you saved? Uh, the fact that he lives in heaven means Psalm 29 says he's enthroned above the flood of judgment. So in heaven, he has a view of everything going on here, and he can watch out for us and protect us. So it is just an outline, and as you go through that outline, um, believe me, the Holy Spirit, Julian, will fill in all of the blanks. You know, one of the, the, the most important times in my walk with the Lord, the first time I ever taught the Lord's Prayer uh, or model for prayer here in San Antonio. I mean, it's many, many years ago now, but but it, it radically changed my prayer life. Um, um, you know, I, I wasn't one who would just rotely repeat prayers. But as I really dug into that, it radically changed my prayer life. So I think that individually we ought to pray that. And I think it's a model for individual prayer rather than corporate prayer or prayer in a group sitting. Now, lots of people pray and God can't hear their prayers because they're not saved. The only prayer God can hear from an unbeliever is, Lord, save me a sinner. Forgive my sins. God will hear that prayer and then that man or woman comes into the family of God. But the fact that uh, people are praying, uh, you know, it's just sort of a, a cliche um, when they do it in movies because they don't know what else to do. Um, but um, um, I, I wouldn't agree with the pastor that you heard who said athletes should not be saying it if they're not saved. Well, lots of people pray and they're not really saved. I prayed before I got saved. And of course, God couldn't hear those prayers. So uh, I just don't think it is a, a prayer that's effective in a group setting and I think probably the tendency we have uh, to repeat prayers uh, mindlessly uh, is sort of um, demonstrated when we, we just, because we memorized it, we can repeat that whole prayer. Uh, it's like praying the rosary or anything else. There's just no value in saying the same things over and over and over. So that's why I don't think the prayer should be prayed in a group setting. But it's not sin or it's not anything else. And uh, I don't know why a pastor would make a big deal uh, out of that. If there was a football movie and that movie was um, just even opening the door a little bit to get people to think about God, I say, Julian, that's a good thing. And uh, and I certainly wouldn't be critical of it. Thank you, Julian. Appreciate the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Mike from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, yesterday many Tennessee churches and community members gathered and protested stricter gun laws. Um, they even brought small coffins, preached about God in ungodly T-shirts. 
Um, the pastors and reverends even wore their robes and demanded governmental change. Personally, I was sad for the people who died, and at the same time, I was disappointed that the churches were protesting. Maybe I am wrong here, but should churches get involved in these types of protests? Should churches and states be separated? Mike, a couple of things. I think, and just to get some clarification to your question, uh, I don't I don't think they were uh, protesting stricter gun laws. I think, I saw the news, they were protesting for or advocating stricter gun laws. And the um, the, the the clergy, the pastors and reverends, you used the term, um, that they came and wore their robes. What they're doing is saying, uh, we've got to do something to restrict guns. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're involved in, in what they would consider social justice issues. Uh, and, and I think it's silly. Frankly, our job is to proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean it's wrong for us to have a position on guns? No, you can have an opinion. But remember, um, when we're trying to change people's hearts, we don't accomplish that by by trying to address laws. I say all the time, Mike, that guns uh, haven't changed. They, they've always been designed to inflict damage, to kill people. Uh, guns haven't changed. What's changed in the time that we live in is the hard hearts of people. And the people are the problem. It's not the guns that are the problem. It's the people that are the problem. And nobody wants to address that because to address that, they would have to say that we have abandoned an entire generation of young people typically, and I'm being, being very general here, typically mass murderers, uh, especially those like in Tennessee, are young men. This particular one in Tennessee was a young uh, woman. Uh, but um, the the, uh, the the problem is not the gun. The problem is the heart of the people. So, um, yeah, I don't think that that's um, the church's responsibility. Um, most of the churches that would represented there would be what we would consider to be liberal or woke churches, um, and they've long ago stopped protesting or proclaiming Jesus Christ. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to David on line one from San Antonio. David, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. Uh, got a kind of a weird question. It's it's a simple one, but still, uh, I'm having trouble trying to explain not not to uh, get into a debate, but to explain to people we're not all going to be sitting in in heaven all day long. <laughs> Playing 1959 Les Pauls, uh, <laughs> you know, but I, I believe that we're going to be working. We're going to be coming back and forth to Earth, doing whatever the Lord wants us to do. The judging, teaching. Uh, am I way off? No. You're, you're not doing. But I, let, let me tell you, I, I, miss, I miss hearing you play a Les Paul guitar. Well, I guess I do. <laughs> and that would be heaven, but yeah. that's not what I'm going to do there, I don't think. No. But we yeah. all have 1959 less, Paul first. Yeah, David, a couple of things. First, I think uh, in the millennial reign, we'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus, whatever that means. We're not given any details. Um, but but after the thousand-year reign of Christ, and that's what we'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus on earth, after the thousand years are over and there's a new heaven and a new earth, 
imagine perfect earth and perfect new heaven. Imagine uh, the, the, the list of things to do will be endless. The things that we will learn, the secrets of the universe, everything will be revealed to us. And, and we're not going to be sitting on a cloud with a harp um, praising God. We're going to be in his presence and worshiping him. So, so believe me, everything in heaven is infinitely better than anything on earth. And the idea, um, this is from the enemy, the idea that heaven is going to be boring, it's just going to be one long worship session, uh, is, is, um, is foolishness and demonically inspired. So, no, we're going to, our role is intentionally withheld from us. Um, beyond ruling and reigning with him in the in the millennial kingdom, and and what heaven is going to be like, those are the surprises. God has more available for us than we can ask or imagine, and in His presence, we know um, there will be mysteries uh, unfold before our very eyes, uh, and and because we can't even be- begin to understand perfection, David, um, we couldn't understand it. So. Um, we don't have any explanation for it. I always say that uh, when when I get to heaven and I'm going to look up the Apostle John, and I would say, man, you were here. You, you had this great vision. You were caught in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and taken to heaven. Why didn't you tell us it was this good? I, and his answer in my mind is always going to be, because on earth I didn't have words for this. And I almost can see John just sort of with his arm pointing to everything that's out there and our minds being blown forever and ever and ever as the fullness of God is revealed to us day after day. And I'm using that as a euphemism because there is no time and space in heaven. But the longer we're there, the more wonderful, the more glorious God gets. David, good to hear from you. We miss you. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to June on line two from San Antonio. June, thank you for holding your on the air. Thank you very much. Last week I was on a missions trip helping with disaster relief at Little Rock, and we saw some spiritual warfare that I'm not familiar with. And it's there was someone who was demon-possessed. There was um, someone with a spirit of um, just depression, and another woman who they said was a seer. And this is kind of beyond me, but I do think that I need to get a little wiser in this. I don't want to delve into it, but I want to be more familiar with it so I... I don't get freaked out, and I know what I should do in circumstances like this. Yeah, thank you, June. I appreciate the opportunity to address this. Um, Spiritual warfare is ugly. When you're encountering demon-possessed people, it's really, really, really ugly. Uh, People think, you know, because of the mischaracterization of it that pastors give, uh, bind him and command him to do this. No, we, we have no authority. Any authority that is given to us is given to us by Jesus. What that means is that when we are going out and you're going to encounter the possibility that you're going to encounter demon-possessed people, June, that's when you've got to run to Jesus. You've got to empty yourself completely of you. There's no way to prepare for it other than to say, Jesus, empty me of me and fill me with your presence. And um, then what you do, and this is what we see throughout the Bible, Uh, You speak to the demon in the person. 
And Jesus will protect you. It, again, it won't be pleasant. It, it, it's, it has all kinds of manifestations that get really, really ugly. But you speak directly to the demon. And God will always give you a little bit of an opening to speak to the person as well. You can actually tell the demon, back off for a moment. I'm going to talk to and whatever the name is. And often they'll give you the name. Um, and and then, then you can say, do you want to get rid of this demon? And accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what I do, June, I don't uh, cast, and and when I say I do, this isn't an everyday thing for me. But um, I won't cast a demon out of somebody who doesn't want to receive Jesus Christ. Jesus said that if that happens, that demon will go out and get seven demons more powerful than itself. And they will come back with a vengeance. And the last state will be worse than the earlier state. We don't want to put people through that. So uh, I don't think you you have to worry about it. You simply need to be prepared for it. And the way to be prepared for it is to be consumed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means you've got to get rid of anything and everything that's flesh. You've got to be sure your heart is right with the Lord. If your heart's not right with the Lord, then you don't want any part of demons. They're going to, like the seven sons of Siva, they're going to come out and, and beat you bloody and, and leave you reeling. Um, but... Uh, I, I just think you, you, what we do is we, in the power of God, tell them, command them. And when I say, I don't mean loudly or anything, but you just let them know. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a, a woman who was demon-possessed that uh, when Paula touched her, and when uh, Paula touched her, uh, she, Paula got really sick right away. I mean, just instantly sick. And there was a smell, and I looked into this old, and she's very old. She's in a wheelchair, and her eyes were spinning, and and she's very strong. And I got right in her face, and I, I just said very, very calmly, and I said, speaking to the demon, I said, you know who I am, and you know whose I am. And I want you to leave this place now. And she looked at me, and and finally she just ran off in her wheelchair. I mean, supernatural speed and strength. Um, but it's not something you want to do. One other thing, uh, June, um, uh, demons lie. That's something we need to remember. It's what they do. And so when you say you see a demon of, of depression, uh, there is no such thing as a demon of depression, by the way. Or somebody who says, I'm a seer or a prophet, uh, they're, they're going to lie to you. And so you need to understand all of this churchy nonsense that we have a demon of lust and demon of cancer and a demon of, of depression and a demon of anger. None of that is real. A demon is a demon, a fallen angel. They inhabit people. And what we're there to do is to set the person free. That's the point of the spiritual warfare. That's the point of the battle. And if that's not where the, the conversation is going, that's just the demon distracting you. So it's you got to focus on Jesus Christ. And remember, be praying as you're talking to the demon. Just, Lord, give me a word of wisdom. Give me a word of knowledge. Um, let the Spirit of God lead the conversation. But don't listen to anything the demon says. By the way, when you um, cast a demon out, um, I've seen demons who actually pretended to go out. Okay, I'm gone now. 
and the woman or the person will come to the right mind for a moment. Uh, but you got to look right in their eye again. And you got to say, I know you're still there. And the Lord will give you direction on this, I think. Uh, but but you, you've, I, I know you're still there. And then if the person is willing to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you can say to the demon, this woman no, or this man, this woman no longer belongs to you. He or she has been set free by the power of the risen Jesus Christ. And then the demon will go. But you, you've got to really be sure that your heart is in the right place with the Lord, that you are... Um, by the power of the Spirit, you're the one in control. The demon is never in control. Final thought on this, June, is we don't have to be afraid of demons, but we need to be respectful of their power. And that's why I, I, I emphasize one last time that our hearts have to be right with the Lord. Uh, there can't be any any hidden sin. We've got to repent and we've got to prepare for battle. You can't do that. If there's sin that's breaking your fellowship with the Lord, because then instead of facing the demon and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be facing the demon in your own power. And of course, your power is nothing compared to the power of the demon. So I hope all of that makes sense to you. Please, to everybody out there, the the nonsense that we hear coming out of uh, crazy charismatic churches is that we can bind and we can loose and we can command and we can demand. None of that. None of that is real. Everything has to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, June, thank you very much for that opportunity. Demon possession isn't something that we see that often, but we will see it when we're going out, especially where there's um, tragedies and things like that. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. That's always the fastest two minutes of the week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we would love your participation, your calls and questions. 340-9585 is our main number. Here's a question from James from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. I've been married for a while, and I read the Bible to my wife every day. Good for you, James. Um, I talk about what we read and give a small devotion. I noticed that she never has anything to say. Every time I try to get her to say something, she won't really give me anything. I want my wife to grow with me in the Lord, and she gets upset when I try to make it where she does more of the talking. She says I'm pressuring her too much or that she doesn't need to say anything because men are supposed to be the teachers and not women. I try to encourage her because I hope one day we can be in ministry together. Good for you. That's my insert. And she might need to counsel or teach kids or young women. Am I in the wrong here? I'm sorry if this is not a big deal. I guess I just need to know if she's right or at least has a point so I know if I should stop trying. Thank you for your help. James, I appreciate your heart so very, very much. Let me say at the outset, 
that every husband and wife ought to be reading together on a, on a near as nearly a daily basis as your schedule will permit. And when I say nearly, people say, well, you know, you can't do it all the time. And you can't. There are days when Paul and I have to get out of the house really early and we don't have time to read. Uh, but, but, but characteristic of our time together is that she sits and reads to me. Now, obviously, I can't see, so, so she's reading to me. And supernatural things happen. Um, you know, sometimes we, we think, well, um, this will never change or that will never change. Um, but supernatural things happen. God is the one who's doing the work, knitting your heart together. When husbands and wives who are one flesh are in the word together, God is using his spirit and his word to knit, to tie our hearts together. And it's so very important. So keep doing it, James. Now, let me make a suggestion to you. Um, what I would do, rather than you just read to her, I would say, I'm going to read this, and, and I love repetition. So then I would say, okay, now it's your turn. Will you read it back to me? And whether it's a chapter or a section, whatever you're doing, you read it out loud, and then she reads it out loud. And then you can talk about it as the Lord leads. I wouldn't give her devotion. I, 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 she doesn't seem all that interested. So I wouldn't give her devotion. I would just sit back and let the Word of God and the Spirit of God do the work. So talk about what you read, but, but give her the opportunity as well. And pray for her so that she will maybe loosen up a little bit now, James, typically when I see situations like this, it's usually because um, people are uncomfortable talking about spiritual things. The same thing is true, by the way, with prayer. Uh, I know people that will pray for their wives or the wives for the husband, but the, the, the other spouse won't pray um, because they're afraid of being exposed. And that's okay. Your wife may be nervous about being exposed. She may be embarrassed that she doesn't know anything. And the fact that you sit her down and give her devotion is putting you in a position uh, where she doesn't have to do anything, but, but she's afraid that if she did have to do anything or say anything, uh, her lack of knowledge would be exposed. So maybe when you're reading, if there's something that you don't understand, then you can say to her, you know what, I don't really get that. Give any ideas on that and give her a chance to open up a little bit and do it naturally. And it doesn't happen with teaching. Now, let me talk about her, her remark about men are supposed to be the teachers and not women. Uh, that's only in the church. That's only in the church. Male leadership in the church is in view here. But I can't tell you, Paula teaches me a lot of things. Paula um, has insight and the Spirit of God is speaking to her. So I want to hear what she has to say. And that's what you need to explain to your wife. The Lord will speak to me through you, just as I hope he's speaking to you through me. Because as one flesh, that's how God will sort of knit our hearts together in ministry. Now, the other thing I don't think you want to do here is is scare her to death with, you know, in the future, if we're in ministry, you may be doing some counseling or you may be doing, be doing this or that. Um, don't Don't go there. Let the Lord do all that work. You just sit there and love your wife. Um, read to her. Let her read to you. And then let the Holy Spirit do the work. 
And then you can pray together. It doesn't have to be long, drawn-out prayers, but before you um, leave the house in the morning, um, you, you've read together, then just pray. Pray for your wife. Ask her to pray for you. And believe me, you'll get comfortable. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, James, and I don't mean to be graphic here, but, but spiritually, there are people that feel naked when when it comes to praying with somebody else or or talking about a bible or something that they don't really understand and i always tell them look it's it's like when you first get married and assuming that you were pure in the courtship uh, you get married the very first time that you see each other without clothing on it's going to be very awkward at first everybody's going to be nervous well the same thing is true when it comes to the bible when it comes to prayer People are nervous and they feel exposed and it takes some time. So just keep doing it and let the Holy Spirit move her along at a pace that she can handle. No pressure. It shouldn't be one of those things. Yeah, but you've got to say something. No, just just let her know. I, I need to hear from God and he'll speak to me through you. And you need to hear from the Lord and he'll speak to you through me. So Let's do this together so that our hearts can be in agreement. And James, um, in all probability, uh, your wife isn't reading the Bible on her own. And she just feels ill-equipped to be a part of this. So understand her insecurity. And you might even ask her, say, you know, it's okay. The only I don't know very much either. But what I do read, I want to let the Spirit of God speak to us. And, and you keep doing it. And God bless you for doing it. And James, I'll be praying for you and for your wife in this process. Thank you for the question very, very much. Here is a question from David. He says, I find myself praying for people to get saved, but I'm unsure of how I should pray regarding their response and God's drawing them. David, I'm not exactly sure what you mean when you say uh, regarding their response and God's drawing them. Um, when you pray for people to get saved, all you got to do is say, Lord, open their heart. Remove anything and everything that's in the way of them understanding the message. Make sure that you understand the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, the first three verses. It's real simple. Share the gospel. Share the problem with sin that separates us from a holy God. And then let them know the good news is that Jesus died for your sins. And and when when they they you leave the conversation and they haven't accepted Jesus Christ, then keep praying. Spirit of God, open their hearts. Spirit of God, keep speaking to them. And um, and then when you check up on them from time to time, if there are people that you run into, uh, just say, "Hey, bro, I'm praying for you. Pray, been praying. Doing okay. Anything I can pray for?" And then let the Holy Spirit. Draw them to Jesus. No one can come to the Father except he or she be drawn by the Son. No one can come to the Son except we be drawn by the Holy Spirit. So it's his job, David, to do that work. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from Eva. Uh, Why does it sound like Jesus being harsh at times with his disciples, times when he says things like, Oh, ye of little faith... Um, you know, Eva, we know Jesus isn't being harsh. We read something and we see harsh. Jesus is being direct. 
I tell my church all the time, you can be kind and direct at the same time. And a lot of people don't think you can. So what Jesus is doing, remember, the disciples, the word disciple doesn't mean Christians. It means student. And he, as their teacher, is instructing them the way they should go. It's like when when, uh, I'd go to football practice, uh, my coach would be relentless with this whistle and you'd run and stop and run and stop. And, and it didn't matter how tired you were. He'd still be pushing you. Well, Jesus was pushing his disciples. Jesus was a teacher who knew the exact timetable. He knew when he was coming into Jerusalem. He knew when he was going to die. And every day closer to the cross, Jesus was even more direct with his disciples. Uh, at the very end, he said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going away and it's good for you that I go with because the Holy Spirit will come. But he also then prayed for his disciples because he knew that life was going to get really, really difficult for them. And so Jesus was just sort of toughening them up and praying for them. And uh, the other thing, Eva, we got to remember is the, oh, ye of little faith, how long have I been with you? Those kind of statements are very, very Jewish. Very, very Jewish in context. Jesus' ministry was entirely Jewish. Uh, And so this wasn't one of those things that the people would have taken offense to. It's not like his disciples would go, boy, Jesus is in a bad mood today. It wasn't that all. They wouldn't take an offense to it. This was the way of the world in those times. Uh, Jesus would, would look at his mother and he said, woman, that's not being disrespectful. It was a different world. And Eva, honestly, we're just way too sensitive. I tell our church here at Calvary all the time, we got to toughen up. We can't be, you know, up one minute and down the next based on circumstances. We got to toughen up. So I'm being direct with them, but I'm being direct in love with them. So Eva, thank you for the question. Monte says, I know a lot of Christians that cuss a lot. Should I call them on it or just let God deal with them? Uh, Monte, I think you need to call them out on it. Now, when I say that, again, not in an offensive or in an aggressive way. But you got to let him know that Christians ought not to talk like that. And so what you want to do is remind them that we're to be different from the world that we live in. Our speech is to be gracious and seasoned with salt. I mean, again, we're direct, but we're direct in love and we're direct with kindness. Um, But uh, no corrupt communication, uh, no unwholesome talk, another translation says, should come from us. And so when somebody who professes Christ in your presence is swearing, you are obligated to to say, let's talk about that for a moment. Why are you talking like that? A Christian ought not to be talking. Well, it's just a bad habit. I God knows my heart. And then you can say something like, well, that ought to scare you the most because Jesus said the stuff that comes out of you comes because it's in your heart. Don't you want that ugliness, those ugly words that are in your heart? Don't you want that to be gone so you can be free from it? Now, Monty, I've told this story a lot of times. But uh, when I got saved, I had a a horribly foul mouth. Um, I I played baseball. Baseball players have filthy mouths. Then I was in the automobile industry. And and we cussed and said horrible things all the time. It was a part of my everyday life. 
but I knew it was wrong since I've been saved. Now, Monty, I hope everybody believes this because I'm dead serious. Since I've been saved, I mean, from the very first moment, I've cussed one time. 32 years, I've cussed one time. And it was just one of those times when it came out, I was in front of other Christians, by the way, so I was really embarrassed. Um, but it was Jesus saying, see, that stuff's still in you. And I, I recognized how hurtful it was to the Lord. And so I, I repented and I pleaded with him. I asked the people that heard me cuss. I said, please forgive me. I, I, I would say I don't know where that came from, but it came from in me. I know that it's in my heart and I don't want it to be there anymore. So pray for me that I'll honor God with my speech. And I asked the Lord very simply to, to take it out of my heart. To, to, if, it's, if it starts to go from my heart to my brain, then short circuit it before it gets to my lips. Because I, Jesus, I never want to embarrass you like that again. And uh, Monty, for 30 plus years now, I've never cursed again. And it was just every day part of my life before I got saved. The people that are cursing, that call themselves Christians, if they really are believers, Monty, they'll know that what you're saying is true. And then let the Holy Spirit use you and your courage to uh, correct them and redirect them. So I hope that helps, Monty. Thank you very, very much. You know, I get a lot of um, comments uh, about the program or regarding the program. You know, words um, don't really matter. It's just a different world now. But remember, as Christians, our world is always supposed to be different from the world that we live in. We're supposed to be lights in darkness. And if we're cursing like everybody else is cursing in this world, then... Uh, the reality is that we're we're just as dark as the rest of the world and we're compromising any ability that we might have to witness to people. So it's never okay to curse. I get frustrated, you know, we have cool, hip, young pastors that think it's cool to curse. Just being real, man, just keeping it real. That's not keeping it real, that's keeping it filthy. That's not keeping it real, that's just disrespecting God and their pulpits. R-rated podcasts hosted by professing Christians. We have them here in San Antonio. It's just sin. That's all it is. And imagine using foul language to try to build a podcast following or a radio show following. We have a lot of listeners on this program. I could have triple the number of listeners if I started cursing and being cool. The only problem is I don't know how to be cool. So money is really important. Call them on it. Call them on it in love. And then at some point, you may have to separate from them. 210-340-9585 or toll-free 877 630-KSLR for your questions. Uh, Here is an anonymous question. What should I do after being hurt by a church? Should I go back to the same church or find a new one? Anonymous, I have a really hard time with a question like this because I don't really understand being hurt 
by a church. I don't. I really don't know what that means. Uh, I know that you can go online and find all kinds of of uh, websites and blogs that are are victim oriented, and everybody can can dump on the church they went to, and and people did this and people did that. But remember, we're Christians. We have no right to be hurt by other people. Our job is to minister to those people, and so the idea of you were hurt by a church is, is, and I'm not being coy here, I really don't understand what people mean by that. Sometimes they'll say, well, somebody said something behind my back. Well, well, they're sinners. Churches are, are places where sinners gather together. And if you let your feelings be hurt by someone, then you've ceased being a servant of Jesus Christ. They insulted Jesus. They spat upon him. They beat him. They killed him. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They insulted me, they're going to insult you. And when we're insulted or when our feelings are hurt by somebody, I think we have an opportunity to to examine our heart and see why it is we're really serving. And um, so so I don't know what that means. But but, um, just on the surface of the question with no details... I would say go back to the same church, find the people that hurt your feelings, and, and try to reconcile whatever the misunderstanding was. But there's simply no way that we who are believers should should say, well, I'm going to blame Jesus, or I'm going to get away from church because church hurt my feelings. And we have websites devoted to that, and it's just absolute nonsense. So if you want to get more sp- specific, um, then please um, please email us again. Let's go to the phones. We've got Deborah on line one from San Antonio. Deborah, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, uh, Pastor Ron. Um, in reference, just as a response to your um, um, your comments about not calling uh, demons by name, I just wanted your uh, thoughts on Mark five nine and Mark nine twenty five. Mm-hmm. In the first one, he said, "What is your name to yeah. the demon?" And in the second one, he called. He said, "You deaf and mute spirit." Yes, uh, two two things, Deborah. One, I said earlier in explanation of that question that Jesus's ministry was very Jewish, and Jews in Jesus's time believed that the you couldn't cast out a demon unless that demon revealed his identity to you. And so that's why Jews would ask what their name is. And in the case where there was a deaf and the mute spirit, um, um, they believed that man was hopelessly lost. There was nothing to be done because he was mute. He couldn't identify himself. So there was never any remedy possible. And Jesus was simply doing that for the crowd. And and he was a comedy, and he's done this over and over and over, not just with demons, but in other instances. He's accommodating the crowd um, so that they'll know what's going on. And especially when he cast out the demon, the deaf and mute uh, spirit that was causing the men to be deaf and mute, um, you know, that, that really got the crowd's attention. So that's why he was asking the name. For you and for me, there's no instruction about asking for the name. We're not superstitious. We don't believe in those things. Um, um, what, what, again, this is my own practice. Um, when I'm encountering somebody who's demon-possessed, I want to get really close to them. 
You know, we have to be careful, and there needs to be other people around you because demons are very strong, and they will jump out on you and 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 try to assault you. Um, but but I want to speak with confidence, not confidence in me, but confidence in the Lord. And I'm I'm just letting the demon know that that I'm here in the name of and by the power of Jesus Christ. And I don't need to know your name. I don't need to know anything about you. But what I want you to understand is that we're going to set this man or this woman free if, in fact, they will uh, accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And and I said uh, in the earlier question that the Lord has, has never failed. He'll always provide an opportunity where you can bypass the demon and speak to the host of the demon or speak to the person. And you can ask them, are you interested in surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? Um, and, and then the demon has no power authority. And he really will be forced to leave without us yelling at him, without us being silly. I think what the enemy wants to do is get us in a position, Deborah, where we're, we're depending on cliches um, uh, with the seven sons of Siva. Uh, when when they commanded that the demon uh, in the name of of the of, of Jesus whom Paul preaches come out and the demons just said hey Paul we know and Jesus we know but who are you and of course then it was a disaster for for the seven sons of Siva after that so we need to get away from the superstition and part of that superstition was very Jewish Jesus asked their name. Um, I think he was doing that because when he ran into that mute spirit, um, uh, he really was able to show his power. So, Deborah, again, that's Jewish tradition. Let me recommend a book for it. It's a great book. It's The Life and Times of the Messiah by uh, Alfred Edersheim. It is public domain now, but uh, so it's online and available. It's very scholarly reading, but it is wonderful and it helps you understand all of the things that were going on sort of behind the scenes and, and the methodology that was going on in the early church. Deborah, thank you for calling. I appreciate it very, very much. I think maybe we have time for one more question. Uh, here's one I can do in two minutes. Anthony says, is Isaiah 53.5 a promise of physical healing? And of course, Isaiah 53.5, suffering servant passed by his stripes, we are healed. And, and Anthony, the answer is no. It has nothing to do with physical healing at all. Nothing whatsoever. Matthew and Peter both address this. Peter in his epistles, Matthew in his gospel. Uh, the, 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 the promise of healing that we are given is the healing of the disease of sin, the disease that separates us from fellowship with God. But the atonement says absolutely nothing about physical healing. And that is a heresy that is promulgated by uh, health and wealth teachers. Uh, people love it and we, we, we beg for healing. And we, we, by faith, even though the healing hasn't manifested itself, I claim my healing by faith. All of that is nonsense. Uh, Isaiah 53, 5 says nothing whatsoever about healing. Now, First Corinthians talks about gifts of healing that God still gives to people, but it has nothing whatsoever to do with the atonement of Jesus Christ. Hey, now that we're closing out the program, what that means to you and the audience is that we're that much closer to Paula being here tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. 